Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you for your prayers for this ministry. God bless you, and happy resurrection season. Um, if, if I can say such a thing, happy Good Friday. Why do they call it good? We know what happened, the brutality of Christ and his torture, his crucifixion. Um, we know why he did it, why he went through it. We're going to read some scriptures in just a minute, but it is Good Friday there's a reason they call it good. Um, and then Paul tells us to fight the good fight of faith. Before we get to our guest today, and by the way, you can pull up a website while I'm talking about a few headlines here, and we're going to read a little bit from Isaiah 53. NehemiahInstitute.com. NehemiahInstitute.com. Um, the, the guest today, Dan Smithwick, is going to talk about the biblical worldview. And we've got a lot of issues to address, friends, uh, particularly in the education System, which we always try to help Christian parents, but it seems like we're redundant and, and sometimes uh, just uh, going against a brick wall. But nonetheless, it's an important battle. So, um, U.S. states graded on freedom versus fear during pandemic. And it's no surprise, I'm just reading a little bit into this headline states that were graded with an F or failing grade on uh, freedom versus fear during the pandemic, of course. Illinois, California, New Mexico, New York, New Jersey, um, also D.C., <laughs> the District of Columbia. The A states graded on an A were, let's see, Utah, surprising, uh, Nebraska, Montana, South Dakota, Florida, New Hampshire, Maine, and Arkansas. Where's the Midwest in that? Anyway, um, so that's an interesting story. Then we've got more information. It seems like every day there's more Information coming out about Disney or Disney's, Walt Disney's descendants, his family, and um, Roy Disney now, I guess it's Disney's nephew, reveals that his child is transgender and he's uh, a funder for the human rights campaign. That's right, the anti-Christian LGBTQ human rights campaign, no surprise. And we also have a Breitbart article that says, Woke Disney takes a huge hit and people no longer trust the company's programming for their children. Well, this has gone back decades, so I don't know why these are such new revelations. Um, another, we wrote on Bidenflation. It's actually a thing, a very important graph you need to see because you're not going to believe the lies um, the White House is putting out. Um, it's Vladimir Putin's fault, what's happening, the economy, the, the inflation, consumer index, everything that's happening. It's, it's either Putin or it's Trump. Somehow, they try to go back a couple years, but uh, there's a very important graph that you can see on the uh, consumer inflation, which is highest in 40 years. It dramatically spiked shortly after the inauguration of Joe Biden. You can see that in my article this week. It's over at harbingersdaily.com, harbingersdaily.com, and go look up that article and you'll see. Also, a disturbing thing, and we're going to talk about worldview today, why we got where we are today, perfectly natural. Church defends assisted suicide ceremony performed in sanctuary. This is where we're at today, friends, and we've talked a lot about education. We were talking a lot about the church, and we need to continue to do so. Um, okay, I want to jump into this. We know Jesus is real. We know the uh, resurrection is a not only a biblical but a historical event, and even science seems to validate that Christ existed and the Gospels are true. We'll put an article in today's podcast post at standardforthetruth.com, but I want to read from Isaiah, a couple verses in Isaiah 52. It says, uh, first of all, verse 10 is great. It says, The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Verse 13 talking about the exalted servant, the Messiah. In Isaiah 52, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. 
just as many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations, kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what had not been told them they will see, what had not been heard they will understand. In Isaiah 53, we'll just jump over to verse 3. It says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and he did, and we did not esteem him. Verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, another translation says, by his stripes we are healed. And then the next verse says, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, Isaiah was saying the Messiah would bear the consequences of the sins of men and and the griefs and sorrows of life. But this is one of the most amazing portions in Scripture that God is the author of and Jesus is the fulfillment of. Messianic prophecy. Jesus was beaten and tortured beyond recognition. Isaiah talks about it. There are other verses that talk about it. So with that in mind, it is Good Friday. Uh, Thank you, friends, for tuning in to Stand Up for the Truth. We are going to talk about the biblical worldview today. And uh, so, Lord, Holy Spirit, guide this conversation. Thank you so much, um, guys, for tuning in. Um, Let's go to our guest today. Blessed to have Dan Smithwick. He's the president of the Nehemiah Institute, whose mission is to unleash a massive spiritual awakening within the Christian community by helping Christian organizations and families establish standards for worldview education, and a personal plan for each individual to achieve and maintain a biblical, a Christian worldview. Dan, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. Well, good morning. Thank you, David, for having me, and good morning to your audience. I am very pleased to be with you today. Hey, we're blessed to connect with you, Dan, and you sent me some great books. Uh, Wow, so much incredible information that we're going to get to. Um, I'm not sure how I heard of you first, but um, we have been uh, with Alex Newman. We've had him on a lot. Um, he's been on my show. I've been on his show. Um, he's spoken at conferences. He's just involved in so much trying to uh, just inform and help Christian parents and equip Christian parents. Also, uh, Dran Reese with uh, Salt and Light. Um, we, we are just so blessed to connect with you at the Nehemiah Institute. And you sent me a bunch of books. But let me just start off, first of all, why Nehemiah? Institute, and when did you guys uh, get this going? Yes, thank you. I became a Christian as an adult at age 33. Uh, had a very religious background, but zero Bible background. Mm. And through some connections, uh, <clears throat> sovereignly of God, uh, of, of course, became a Christian, a true born-again believer, and immediately knew that I needed a Bible and to start reading the Bible. And being somewhat studious, I you know, read the Bible like every other textbook I had. You started chapter one, uh, page one, and read. Eventually, I got to the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah, God stopped me, hmm. because I thought I saw in the book of Nehemiah the story of America. Here was the people of God, had the favor of God, the great blessing of God, the Jews, lost that because of disobedience and were exiled. Hmm. Later, of course, we know there was a restoration through Nehemiah and Ezra. But I thought, here is a picture of America today. Once had the favor of God, the great blessings of God. Then we became soft. We became ignorant about God's Word. And now I feel like we are being exiled, not geographically, but ideologically. Mm. And that's why I think the book of Nehemiah and the whole story is so incredibly important. And so I founded the Nehemiah Institute in 1986, to begin this work of helping Christian families, especially in the area of education, to bring God back into that all-important area of life. Mm. Praise God. And I, I, I can uh, echo what you say about Nehemiah. When I, I read that, I reread that again, 
recently. And uh, just there's a parallel there with how we need to be working for God and yet ready for battle. And I like how uh, Nehemiah dealt with opposition. First thing he did was yeah. pray. First thing he did, he wasn't a last resort. He prayed. He cried out to God. And then God obviously gave him favor. And the enemies who threatened them never really did attack, but they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, and they had a weapon in one hand, and they were working with the other hand. I, I find that to be something that we lack in today's church. Would you like to just touch on that, comment on that a little bit, Dan? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, because when I think about all the problems that bother us today as Christians, whether it's uh, the social problems, the whole critical theory problem, the woke nonsense that's going on, mm -hmm. the economic concerns that we hear about, and the possible crash of our dollar. All of these things that are troublesome to us are problems because somewhere education went wrong. Mm. All of these things are put into place because someone had an idea, let's do it this way. And if that idea is not based on the Word of God, it will be based on flawed man's reasoning, and will will produce these organizations that foster bad ideas, bad policies, and things go wrong. And that's exactly why we feel like the Nehemiah Institute is positioned to help the church, help Christian families, because we want to show biblical ideas, biblical worldview thinking that helps us to see how these spheres of life need to be governed by the Word of God. So, Dan, you have a lot of uh, resources on at the Nehemiah Institute shop, the online store. Um, what did you first write? What was one of the first books or pamphlets that you put up there that you wrote? Yes, so we're, we're known mostly around the country and, and some other countries, for the worldview assessment mm -hmm. called the Peers Test. They yes. can read about that on the site there. That's, that's what got us started with education institutions, was an assessment program that would be used to show, are we really comprehending a biblical worldview in our education process? And so our market has been with schools, Christian schools, high schools and colleges and universities, to see how well are we equipping the next generation with biblical reasoning. Hmm. And so for years, that was pretty much what we were doing. We would offer this assessment, send back reports. In most cases, the results were not too good. And schools will say, well, what do you recommend we do? What do you recommend that we change? And so we were appointing them for a while to other resources like David Noble's Summit Ministry, yes. uh, Understanding the Times. I know you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. And George Barnes stuff. Uh, but then we decided to start publishing materials, and so the first course that we actually published, or a study guide, is a, a worldview primer called Tillers. Uh, that one shows the biblical reasoning behind each of the five spheres identified by the PEERS acronym. Okay, I've got that in my hand, a study in foundations of civilization. And oh my goodness, Dan, um, these are such great materials. There's so much. It's packed and you use quotes from men of God and influencers yeah. and, and church fathers, you got John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards and Martin Luther and so many others. But you really dive into these trends and uh, the biblical worldview. And by the way, on that test, I've got it in my hand. You sent me one. I love some of these uh, statements that they are supposed to rate, whether they strongly agree or strongly disagree or anything in between. A simple one that just popped out at me that we struggle with, I think, today is number 60. The foundation of all government is self-government under God, and they, they are supposed to decide whether they strongly agree or they're neutral or they strongly disagree. Just in 70, uh, if I have the most recent copy, 70 yes. statements that uh, they are supposed to rate and, and understand. This gives us a great understanding. So what is the takeaway from your experience of where we are at? You say these are primarily for Christian schools or Christian students, um, what, what is the takeaway from what you've learned about the peers' test? So in doing this, yes, for 30 years, with the exact same 70 statements, so it's a true apples-to-apples -apples comparison ah. of the thinking that's going on in our culture, especially by our young people, and we have tracked this for 30 years and produced this peers' trend chart, which is on the website. Uh, I think you have a copy of that in hand. Yes. And... The takeaway is it is showing that at least 90% of our young people, our meaning the church, the Christian community, at least 90% of our youth are leaving 
their high school, whether it's a public high school or a traditional Christian high school even, with a secular worldview and heading towards a socialist worldview. That, I say, is the number one problem in America. When the church cannot educate its posterity correctly, Mm. it is very problematic for the future of the church. And uh, people say, where is this chart really leading us? And I have a one-word answer, Europe. Because today in Europe, in the entire continent of Europe, about 5% of the people are in church on Sunday. In America, it's about 20%. It used to be over 80% in colonial American days. So if that same trend Mm. that we identify on the Pierce chart continues for another 30 years, we will be just like Europe, less than 5% of the people in church. And and Dan, let's be honest and uh, realize the fact that in most churches, maybe not every church in America, but most churches, there are people sitting in the comfy seats or in the pews that aren't even saved or truly converted. They do, they do not believe yes. in the biblical worldview, maybe good works, maybe other things, maybe part of the Bible— but this is the problem in America. So I know the focus, Absolutely. The focus, as you say, and we'll get to this in, a, in maybe the next segment, the focus is the church. And you sent me a letter, and you said that's where the problem lies, and this is why you're now trying to do more work with churches. We'll get to that in a minute, but I'm looking at this red line on this worldview trend chart, and it says, in the middle of these two red lines, it says secularism. And it says 90% of our youth are in this box and this is one right. of the biggest problems so what's your conclusion about that what or, or the solution i guess the solution is that the pulpits in america the pulpits of the christian churches in america <clears throat> have to understand that they need to restore the education responsibilities of the church <clears throat> we have to stop handing off our people to some other institution a secular institution and say would you please train up our child in the way he should go that's the mistake we made in the middle of the 19th century when Horace Mann and John Dewey convinced America to give education responsibilities to the state. Thank you. And then that problem was enormously uh, accelerated when the Frankfurt School in Germany was moved here in 1930 and hooked up with John Dewey. Mm -hmm. And ever since, they have been pushing Marxist ideology into K-16 education. Thank you for speaking the truth. This is we're going almost uh, 100 years now from when this yes. first started. This this direction, um, downward spiral of biblical morality in the Christian worldview, be, in large part in, because of education, but also because of the pulpits and the direction of backing out of culture. But I want to quote someone that, that you quoted in this uh, worldview trend chart uh, paper. It's Abraham Kuyper. And he was a prime minister over in the Netherlands. And listen to this quote, friends. And Dan, I'll give you two minutes uh, left in this segment to comment on this. He said this, When principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then the battle is your calling and peace is your sin. Go ahead, Dan. Isn't that an amazing statement? And it is so true because we have remove the Word of God from shaping our thinking. Mm. And so now that is our call, is to know that and to respond to that, and to simply do nothing. That kind of peace is sinful, because we are agreeing with the change that has happened over the last century and deciding that it's not worth getting into the fight. Mm. It's not worth getting onto the battlefield. That has to change, and it has to be led by the pulpits. Well, I, I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said fam- yeah. famously, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. But I love this quote. I think maybe at the end of the podcast we'll quote it again. Abraham Kuyper, yes. uh, 1837 to 1920. Um, Dan, since we only have a minute left, I don't want to ask you another question and, and have you rush through it or just leave you hanging into the break. But I do want to mention in one of the books you sent me, Christian Foundations, that you wrote, um, I believe it says 2011, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, October 2011. So we're talking uh, 11 years ago, 2011. And when I come back, when we come back from break, I've got a quote that I want to share from the back of the book by David Nobel of Summit Ministries. And we've got a lot more to talk about, friends, with 
Dan Smithwick of the Nehemiah Institute. More stats, more worldview issues when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. So much to discuss, so little time. Um, Another book that uh, Daniel uh, has here that he sent me that is available through the Nehemiah Institute is Political Correctness, A Deceptive and Dangerous Worldview. Now, guys, you think you know the background on this. I thought I was somewhat informed until I, you know, skimmed through this book and was looking at some of the pages and some of the history therein. Um, and so, Daniel, thank you for this. I wish more people would get their hands on these materials and, and we'll give them every opportunity to go to your website and do that, nehemiahinstitute.com. But back to that quote from David Nobel. Um, and again, this book, from the back of this book, Christian Foundations, 2011, uh, 11 years ago, he said this, It is no secret that biblical Christianity faces difficult times in academia. Most subjects taught in the social sciences and humanities, for example, are taught from an anti-Christian perspective, end quote. And you, you say, sadly, this appears to be true even in some Christian schools and churches. We know this was 11 years ago. We know it's true now. It's not just most subject. We believe almost all subjects are really now openly hostile almost to the Christian worldview. So your thoughts on that? This is just 11 years that have gone by since uh, that came out, Dan. Sure. So in the past 11 years, we've only seen you know, that problem worsen mm-hmm. because of two problems. Uh, certainly we know where the public school system is going, and I prefer to call it the government school system. It is not neutral, never was neutral. It is anti-Christian, and now it is openly anti-Christian in so many ways. And so we put our young people there. That's what they're going to learn. That's what they're going to believe. But even in much of our Christian schooling in America, Christian schools were started by the droves, the thousands in the 60s and 70s. But in most cases, they adopted pretty much the same curriculum, same teacher training, Mm. added a Bible class, and called it Christian education. It really wasn't. And so that's what needs to be fixed, and it is being fixed by particular Christian school associations where we're teaching students how to reason from the Scriptures to a right understanding of every academic subject that they have. That's what's going to change this. Mm. And uh, so the past 11 years, uh, the chart shows the continued decline in this worldview reasoning uh, that goes counter, as David Noble was pointing out. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Summit Ministries, that's in Colorado, correct? Yes, in Colorado Springs. It's uh, yep. long been known as probably the first worldview ministry, and so kids would go there for two weeks at a time yep. and uh, be crammed you know, over two weeks with worldview understanding. Love and, uh, John Stone Street, and we've had uh, yeah. Jeff Myers on the podcast, too, Jeff Myers from Summit. Um, yes, he's now president of Summit, yes. Yep. Um, now, I want to mention in this book, Political Correctness, that we touched on earlier, a deceptive and dangerous worldview. On page 69, thank you for including um, or for you know pointing us to this book. I, I love these series, uh, the, the indoctrination documentary, uh, Public Schools and the Decline of Christianity in America, Colin Gunn, uh, Agenda, Curtis Bowers, Grinding America Down. That's when I first heard about Antonio Gramsci, I believe. Uh, then he came out with Agenda 2, Masters of Deceit. And then another a documentary called Cultural Marxism, The Corruption of America by James, is it Jagger or Jagger? Jagger, yeah. Jagger. And then No Safe Spaces, uh, You Have the Right to Remain Silent by Madison McQueen. These are five documentaries that are recommended by the editor on cultural Marxism and uh, a lot of excellent materials. So, that is really what we're seeing. I don't know if we mentioned it on the air, air yet because we had some conversations before we got on the podcast, Dan, right. uh, on Antonio Gramsci and uh, cultural Marxism and the prison notebooks. And his really it was an evil but a brilliant strategy, knowing that America and the West could never be taken down militarily. Their goal was the long, progressive march through the institutions in America. And what are those institutions that the left has now complete control and power in or taken over education, Hollywood, corporations, government, and uh, what else? Was there another one? Well, all of our financial institutions, mm-hmm. of course. Yes. But, um, 
Yeah, they started with a focus on putting Marxist professors in the universities uh, and worked their way down. And today, Marxism is is rampant in in kindergarten classes. That's why we're seeing this transgender nonsense being pushed in kindergartens. You know, there's a there's a statement about fighting wars that you have to know your enemy. Mm. This book does exactly that. This book explains who the enemies are by name, what they promoted, what they taught. That's why this book is so terribly important, is to understand the enemy that we're facing that is taking our children in a different direction. It's just a really important read. It's my author, I mean, the co-editor of this, Richard Hawkins, is a, is a good friend of mine. He's one of associates of mine, and he's did, done most of the research to pull these essays together, but it is really, really a necessary read for the Church today. So, friends, I know I, I don't mean to confuse you because we've got five different books we're mentioning here we're highlighting. Because, yes, right. Dan, right. Uh, you sent these to me. Thank you. They're all very important, but the two big ones are the one you just mentioned, Political Correctness and uh, its pedigree, history, and practices. It is a dangerous worldview. You've got a lot, so much information. You even talk about what we're seeing in America, the race, class, gender, uh, the Marxist theory, uh, left-wing moral puritanism, uh, radical relativism, uh, which that has led in part to the transgender, or what some of us call the gender surrender. So how does that movement, the LGBTQ and the gender um, delusion, what we're seeing now, Dan, how does that fit under cultural Marxism, or is it something else? Because, because, of course, the Marxists deny God. So the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. We are made male and female in the image of God. And so when you can screw that up, when you get that wrong, (laughs) as these people are doing, Mm -hmm. then you can destroy a culture. That is why the transgenderism issue is a paramount issue in our day. I mean, if that is not a line in the sand for Christians, and you will not stop sending your children to a school that teaches that, there's something wrong with your your understanding of Christianity. Mm. This is this is bedrock, foundational truth to humanity and to understanding of God. So that's why this read is so terribly important. I say, David, that if people, if Christians and pastors all over would read these two books, Political Correctness and Pillars, it'll absolutely transform their thinking about the battles that are before us today in our country. Mm. We are going to talk more about this book and Pillars, but first, uh, you wrote me a letter. um, When was this? This was late last year. Oh, actually, last August, last summer. Yeah. And um, I I just want to quote you. You said, you know, you wanted to share some things from the ministry and these, the peer test, the peers test and some of these books from Nehemiah Institute. And you say in the letter, we have worked mostly with Christian schools, high school, and higher education for 30-plus years, but now we're trying to work more with churches, period. That is where the problem lies. So let's touch on this a little bit, Dan, the, the churches. Why? Because we're talking about education obviously being taken over by government, a secular government. But why does the problem lie in the churches as well? Because the adults in the churches who went through public schooling to a huge degree, I did, uh, want to believe that the education they received served them well, and therefore, uh, you know, it it isn't that bad. Uh, And so we're trying to do this work to show churches to show adults in churches why what happened to the education system and why they have to change their thinking. So we have put together a half-day seminar that we call the Kingdom Seminar, where we go into churches and through three different presentations explain the whole history of what's happened throughout the Western world, happened to the U.S., and is happening to an enormous degree with our young people. It is very convicting, very eye-opening to see the actual things that were done to change America, to change Western civilization. This is the wake-up call that causes people to get out of their pews and say, I want to be part of the soldiers on the battlefield fixing this problem. It works. Thank you. So before we go over to uh, Pillars, a study in foundations of civilizations, just I just want to mention some from the table of contents of the book Political Correctness. And just to give an idea to our listeners what's in there, and by the way, if you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and you don't have young children, this is still so informative, important to understand. 
a lot of great information in here. It just simply defining what is political correctness and its historical roots, the tyranny of political correctness. Then we, it talks about cultural Marxism and its conspirators, names, names, radical feminism. How does that line up and how does that come up with political correctness? Social engineering, um, the Green New Deal, Agenda 21, critical race theory, intersectionality, um, the elephant in the classroom. Uh, let's see, what else? Social justice education. And we know in the church, social justice is an apostasy, um, the way it's redefined, social justice. Any time you put a word in front of justice, it's more often than not, not God's justice. Critical masses, the worldview battle, uh, classical education for modern times, and these are uh, what can be done. There's solutions to. So uh, do you want to, before we move on to the other book, Pillars, uh, Dan, you want to say anything else about political correctness and point out anything within? Well, it's always important to understand, you know, who's, who's promoting the thoughts that we think are important and right. Uh, we have to know who the people were throughout history that served God correctly, who mm. were the heroes of the faith over the years, and read those individuals. But then we have to know the other side. And that's really how I developed the Pierce test with the 70 questions, was to read from both sides and capturing basic statements that were foundational to a Christian worldview or to a secular worldview. Mm. And so that's why this political correctness book is so important, because it names names, dates, ideas that they postulated, and the Church has been asleep at the wheel on this. It's just allowing these things to come into the Church. It's why woke is getting very little pushback in the churches, which is very sad. Yeah, it is. We're seeing a lot of acceptance, um, accommodation, and what does that lead to? Compromise. And there, right. then, then it, unfortunately, in that logical progression, uh, once you accommodate, once you compromise, and then you start approving of things that the Bible instructs us against, sin, th things under the umbrella of sin. So I love this quote I've got to mention. Now Now we're talking about the book Pillars, and this quote, I love this. I've shared it so much from George Mueller. He said, The vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. I solemnly state this from experience of 54 years. The first three years after conversion, I neglected the Word of God. Since I began to search it diligently, the blessing has been wonderful. Great has been the blessing from consecutive, diligent, daily study. I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. Um, I love his passion for the Word, and like most men of God and, and pillars of the faith, um, Dan, I would love for you just to share any other uh, men of God, Jonathan Edwards, any other Oswald Chambers, people that, that have inspired you through the years. Sure. Charles Spurgeon. Yes. Uh, love his work a lot. Um, Francis Schaeffer. Mm. Uh, very, very important. And we have some wonderful theologians today that have been, you know, writing and teaching about biblical worldview. But these are important giants of the faith to know, to understand. And there's so much of it available on YouTube, uh, books. Uh, there's no excuse for not knowing. It's just a matter of conviction that we have to know these things and make the effort to do that. So there are a lot of—I'm um, jumping way ahead in the book to Chapter 7, but I noticed that there's a lot of quotes from— past presidents in the, of the United States and what, they, yes. what their thoughts on the Bible are and were. And there's, there's a lot of—I mean, I'm, I don't know, a couple dozen. Um, yes. Most people think, well, no, we, these men were not Christians. You've heard that argument, right? But unfortunately, yes. that arg those arguments have, have caused a lot of people to doubt not knowing the truth of history. Your thoughts, Dan? Yes, I, we intentionally did that. I, I think there's an index at the back that puts them all in order uh, of the quotes of famous presidents, George Washington on, showing how they were men of the word. Mm. They understood these principles and used those in crafting the Constitution that we have. So those that's good things to know because, uh, of course, our schooling system wants to deny all that, you know, that we were bad, that we were... Um, you know, started America with wrong ideas. Well, that's pure nonsense because... Uh, it's just a lie from the enemy. So those are important things to know. And throughout that, Pillars, and by the way, I should say, David, that 
Pillars is the textbook for peers. Peers is the, is the assessment. Mm-hmm. Peers is an acronym standing for politics, which we mean civil government, economics, education, religion, and social issues. Those mm-hmm. five spheres. Wow. Then pillars is the teaching instrument for, I mean, excuse me, uh, yeah, pillars is a teaching instrument for those five spheres. So they go hand in glove. Mm-hmm. I love it. Politics, economics, education, religion, and social issues. Um, we're talking about the biblical worldview today, friends. If you just joined us, we are with Daniel Smithwick with the Nehemiah Institute. He's the president. Um, NehemiahInstitute.com. I encourage you to go there. And just on the left-hand side, there's a, a menu there. Just go just go right over. You want to check out the peers testing, but I would say go to the online store if you want to grab one of these books. We'll put the links in the podcast notes, standitforthetruth.com. We've got two minutes in this segment, Dan. Um, this is another very extensive book, um, and I love the men of God and, and church fathers and others you quote through this. What can a Christian parent do today if, if well, they know now, they know uh, that the current uh, education system is not supportive yeah. or is actually hostile toward the biblical worldview. It's not, it's not that they don't want to talk about God, the Bible, the Ten Commandments. They don't want anything to do with it. And they also criticize it. What can a Christian mom and dad do in these situations? Very first thing they should do, we always say this in conferences where we go, do the peers testing, mom, dad, and high school children. We even have a version for junior high, so you can go that low. You take the test, independent, not with, you know, group testing, independent, get the results back, and see where your thinking is rooted in a secular philosophy of life Mm. rather than in a distinct biblical view of life. Then begin the reading processes to correct those thinking. That always leads to some very interesting table discussions when uh, families do the peers test themselves. Wow. Well, even, I mean, I'm looking through these things, even some adults probably— uh, don't line up with some of these biblical issues. They they might line up on the neutral, or maybe they might even tend to disagree. That's in part to the poisoning of the mainstream media and the anti-Christian yeah. uh, movements in America that are, particularly the education system, which I, I hate to continue to bring that up, but that's that's a big elephant in the room, isn't it, education? Absolutely it is. Absolutely yeah. it is, David. So we've got to take another break. Um, Our guest today, Daniel Smithwick, and now this book we're talking about is a study in foundations of civilizations. It's called Pillars. Why are we mentioning all these materials? Because, first of all, they're important. Secondly, I believe they will be very, very helpful to you, especially if you've got children in school, of school age. And uh, third, I think they will definitely make a difference in your understanding of God and our history in America. More on Standard for the Truth on the Biblical Worldview in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. You can contact Daniel Smithwick, president of Nehemiah Institute. He gave me an 800 number, uh, and that is 800-948-3101, We'll put that in the blog at StandUpForTheTruth.com underneath the podcast. So before we get back to the book Pillars, um, I want to go to the Peers Test, and you suggested um, the Statement 23. Now, friends, if you're not familiar with this, there are 70 statements where uh, people either agree, are neutral, or disagree. And uh, number 23, uh, Dan suggested we need to talk about. It says this, and and you can tell me, you, uh, you know, uh, just shout at the radio or the microphone or your iPhone. Huh? However you're listening to this podcast, tell me what you think. In a democratic society, citizens have a civil right to an education, and this right must be protected and enforced by civil governments. So, friends, do you strongly agree, tend to agree, are neutral, tend to disagree, or strongly disagree? Think about that. Okay, time's up. Now, Daniel, go ahead and share why that's such an important statement. It is so foundational to how a culture is going to behave, because that's addressing the issue of who's responsible for education. It's a jurisdiction issue. First in the statement, we do not have a right to an education. We have a responsibility to be educated. Mm -hmm. And second, to, uh, to think that 
civil government has somehow responsibility for assuring this supposed right is a complete misunderstanding of the jurisdiction for education. God gave the responsibility for education to the families and to the church, not to civil government. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in our Constitution do you see education being the responsibility of civil government. So what's so troublesome about this statement, it is, of the 70 questions, the most frequently missed question by youth in Christian high schools. Hmm. And that alarms us, because if our culture has adopted the views today where we believe that's right, then we are, in essence, teaching our children that the government is responsible for all of what you need to know and to learn. And with the state of our government today, we can see how problematic that is. So if, if, if the world can get our people to believe that statement as worded in question 23, they pretty much got them. Mm. And so that's why we're very alarmed. And so then what we do, we've done for years, we write position papers on the test questions most frequently missed, which serve as a mini Bible study to show chapter and verse why you should have agreed or disagreed with a question. Interesting. And this is one that we regularly send back to schools and churches that use the peers test to help them see why that statement, as it's written, is absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and the earlier in the Pierce test, number 12, is kind of the contrast to that. It says, parents have the primary and final responsibility for the education of their children. So, parents, do you strongly agree? Are you neutral? Do you strongly disagree? Well, I'm sure this audience, uh, being more mature, I like to think, anyway, I like to believe that, uh, they would, of course, strongly agree that it's the parents' responsibility. But boy, have we lost that. Um, We've gotten so far away from that. So, Daniel, before we get back to the book Pillars, A Study in Foundations of Civilizations, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal content, friends. I'm going to put that link in the podcast post as well. I want to talk to you briefly about Florida. Disney is down there. You're down there. Alex Newman's down there. Um, And with what Disney has been promoting over the past decades. It's more often than not has flown under the radar. I know they've opened up their theme parks to pride parades in the last, I don't know how many years, but even their subtle um, programming in their movies and their storybooks and their cartoons, we just heard Disney executives come out and say, we need about, we need more than 50% LGBTQ representation characters and all Disney productions, and they are trying to put subliminal. You talked about subliminal um, uh, influences earlier in the first part of the podcast today. They're putting that in the background, like a lesbian couple or a gay couple kissing in the background, and they'll maybe flash it really quick. We're starting to see that in a lot of commercials as well. But I just want to get your thought, you being in Florida and Disney being so massive, the entity that it is, they own so much, billion-dollar corporation beyond. Uh, what are your thoughts on what they have been doing? And finally, there's maybe a little pushback. You know, Disney represents, I think, one of the, the best expressions of how easily it is to change people by emotion. Mm. And that's what happens when you go to Disney World, Disneyland. It's the emotion of the atmosphere, all the glitz, and all these things are flashing at you all the time. Uh, in many different venues. And so when you begin to sow this truth, I mean, excuse me, this, the air is not truth, into the characters, the activities, it gets absorbed into kids' emotions. Mm. And that really begins the process of changing their thinking to those ideas, counter to the scripture. It's really a way of capturing kids. That's what Disney's about, is capturing the next generation with through their emotions, with bad thoughts about human behavior. Mm. And they have, and uh, we're not saying it started out this way, because uh, we've, I've even read a couple quotes about Christianity and his faith and religion from Walt Disney. Um, don't know where we, he was at the end of his life, but we now know his family, where they stand. They're all in to the LGBTQ, and it's, and it's really sad. They're pushing this agenda under what we talked about earlier, cultural Marxism. Um, it, it is really sad. The influencers, right, Dan? And I, talk. Yes. Go ahead. Speaking about influence, I, when kids go to the public schools, they're away from their parents, away from their Bibles, away from church, away from anything having to do with the biblical worldview for seven hours a day. So go ahead and share your thoughts about influence. 
Well, you know, we're all influenced by all the things that come at us. It's impossible not to be influenced. Uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? So uh, uh, people are going to give us ideas, give us thoughts to think about. But I have to tell you a cute story. Two days ago, I was with a friend who told me about a guy that took his family to Disney just a couple of weeks ago, made a T-shirt to wear there, across the front and on the back, it said, Walt, not woke. Ah, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and he had people stopping him all day long, wanting their picture taken with him with that T-shirt. Walt. Even some Disney employees wanted a picture taken with it. So maybe there's some people waking up. Yeah, some, not enough. And it's I think it is obviously too far gone. Um, yeah. yeah, and they're doubling down, by the way. I don't know who it is, the CEO of Disney or the whoever's the president. Yeah, they're CEO, doubling. Yes. Yeah, they're doubling down and going along with this. So back to the book Pillars. So important yes. to get back, friends, to the foundation. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the cornerstone um, of our faith and of the pillar of the church. And this book Pillars talks about foundational uh, issues the, on the biblical worldview, things that can strengthen your faith and understanding of the biblical worldview. Let's go to chapter 5, Daniel. We've just got about six minutes left in the podcast here. Uh, the objective, you talk about religion, biblical principles of religion, is to help understand the biblical philosophy of the Christian religion. Then it's got a couple bullet points by affirming and explaining the primary attributes of God, explaining the nature of man, listing the primary ways God reveals himself to mankind, and revealing the five identifying marks of a born-again Christian, there's a big issue even in evangelical or Christian churches today. Absolutely. Uh, many not even being born again. Um, you might say some are false converts. Ray Comfort talks a lot about that. Right, yes. um, And then detailing the nature, purpose, and importance and practices of the church. So share your thoughts as kind of like an over- overview or teaser of this chapter. Share whatever you'd like. Yes. This chapter itself, I say, is worth the price of the book Mm. because it is so foundational to who we are as a person. It focuses on, we identify the 13 key attributes of God. You know, this is a word that means, how do we describe God? How do we understand his nature? If we do not have proper biblical understanding of the attributes of God, we will necessarily have a wrong idea of the nature of man. And so that's so important that we have that standing before us, a full understanding of the attributes of God, so that we can properly discern the nature of man. Mm-hmm. And that's what this chapter does. The second thing about it is what you mentioned, the five marks of a born-again Christian. I don't think I've heard maybe one sermon in my life, 40-some years as a Christian, of hearing, how do you know that you're saved? What are the real marks of a true born-again Christian. And we've captured this from writings of uh, theologians over the years that identify how do you really know that you are a Christian? Not just because you had a sense, because you had a thought one day or an emotion, but real evidence that you are truly a born-again Christian. So those two reads, the attributes of God and the marks of a Christian, they ought to be done in the home and discussed. They should be in Sunday school classes, to make sure that we know who he is and who we are. So many good quotes in here as well. I'm looking at some great men of God, George Whitfield, um, Charles Spurgeon, um, Tozer, of course, um, just a lot of encouragement for people. And these were men that, that almost wore their faith on their sleeve. Today we've got more of a silent faith, and we are nowhere instructed in Scripture to be closet Christians or silent secret agents, right? We are ambassadors for Christ, and Psalm 119 is a perfect example of something that demonstrates what the Word of God is to God and how much love we can have for the, for the Word and how perfect it is and how holy and what God thinks about His Word. Uh, and it's one of the longest chapters in the Bible, by the way, if you haven't uh, read Psalm 119 lately. But um, these are things that really help us in our understanding and in our foundational building on those blocks of the Christian worldview, because as you said, Dan, the, the enemy will continue to come at us, and it's what we're seeing now is even an uptick in warfare, and the not only the intensity of the spiritual warfare, but the frequency of it in culture, in our country, around the world, and in our personal lives. Your thoughts? 
that's what it is. That's what's going on. Uh, it's, a, it's a culture that's run amok uh, because of bad ideas. Uh, you know, when we read in the Old Testament where it says, your thoughts are not my thoughts and my thoughts are not your thoughts, you know, we really should think long and hard about what that means mm. uh, because there is no neutrality. Uh, it's going to be, you know, a set of truth or, or, or the set of lies against that truth. That is the problem. The one quote from Tozer in this chapter as religion without guilt just tries to make God a big pal of man. That's going on today in the evangelical world. We're yes. just, you know, Jesus is a friend. God is our pal. Doesn't mm. address sin and guilt. The yeah, kind that... of problems that happen when we become void of a true understanding and a conviction of the necessity of the Word of God on a daily basis. Mm. I agree. That's that's a very important observation. We tend to think of, of God or Jesus as as our, our friend. And there's even a song, I'm a friend of God, and I know the intentions were good, and there may be some uh, good theology in there, but we are children of the Most High God, and we are yeah. heirs of, of God through Jesus Christ, what He did for us. He's, he is not our pal. He is not our pilot or co-pilot. And sometimes we, we tend to think about things, romanticize these thoughts, like, yeah, Jesus is my friend. Um, boy, God is holy, and we don't hear about wrath. Uh, we don't hear yeah, about— I was the... going to comment on Go that. ahead. Go ahead. We've that's, got a couple minutes left. That's the last attribute we cover is wrath. When's the last time you heard a sermon on the wrath of God? Mm. Uh, you know, we really should know that, and that really draws us up short with where we're at in our disobedience to God and the consequences of that individually and as a nation. I think I saw that. Let me flip back to that page where you had the, the uh, attributes. Um, wrathful is number 13. Right before that is love. So you thought, wait a minute, those, those two in our lives maybe don't coexist, but in God, the perfect person, the attributes of God, everything from being self-existent, omnipresent, immutable, sovereign, holy, righteous, and faithful, love and wrath can coexist in this Holy yep, God, but yep, we, I don't think yep. we have a great understanding of that, Dan, do we? No, we do not. It's really been lost in our modern-day evangelicalism. Well, we are running out of time. I'm so glad you were able to spend the whole hour with us. Again, friends, if you just tuned in, NehemiahInstitute.com. Check out some of these books, particularly Pillars, the one we were just talking about, and the other one that's very important, Political Correctness. These two books, I believe, would bless you and help you uh, just just check those out, please. I, I just uh, want to admonish you strongly. Such great information in there. Dan, thank you for all your hard work through the years. Lord willing, we'll have you on again. God bless you, sir. Thank you, David. God bless you too, sir. Okay, bye. All right. Uh, happy Good Friday, friends. Happy Resurrection Weekend. And uh, thank God. Friday is here, but Sunday's coming. That means the empty tomb is what we get to celebrate on Sunday. It is a true historical fact. And biblical fact, of course. Next Monday, J.B. Hickson, he's going to kick it off with us. Billy Crone on Wednesday. Pastor James Coates on Thursday. God bless you. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.